Austin Williams. You just heard this piece, These Roots Grown Deep by Nick Zulek. That track may have sounded like there were multiple instruments or multiple saxophones, but I'm here to tell you that there was just one and no looping going on. Nick Zulek specializes in special techniques on the saxophone that allows him to play multiple notes at the same time or allows him to use multiple techniques at the same time. It's such a pleasure interviewing him, just talking about music and life and all of his influences. 
got to chat a little bit about an upcoming project he has, which you'll hear about more in the interview. So without further ado, let's cut to the chase. Here's the interview I had with Nick Zulek. Please enjoy. So I was introduced to your music by a colleague of mine. Um, he's um, a clarinetist, but just a big woodwind nerd. He's a, a band instructor now, but he was like, you should check out this Nick Zulek guy. He's doing a lot of really cool stuff with like, like extended techniques and like singing and like things like that. And I'm like, okay. And then he actually, I think it was in composition seminar. Um, he, we like presented music of like composers. So he actually presented you like what you were doing and stuff like that. And that's kind of him. <laughs> no, but it was it was really cool because like before that, like I knew about like Anthony Braxton and I knew about like some other like obviously Coltrane, like some people yeah. doing some like more experimental stuff with like saxophone, but like um to see it like brought to like an nth degree kind of thing. And then that personally got me down kind of the rabbit trail of like Colin Stetson and like people like that for a bit, just like really exploring these instruments and like their capability. So, um, so that was kind of, that was my introduction to your music. And I was, um, very fascinated and still am obviously, but like very fascinated with it for a long time. Um, and then that concert when you guys came, it was really cool to like do all that. Um, but I hear this like connection in your music somehow to like, um, like the indie folk scene that kind of comes from Wisconsin or comes from like that area, whatever you want to call it. I call it like post indie because it's more like this like idea of like the indie rock, but it really, I don't know, yeah. de- defies a bunch of stuff. But I, I think, um, and I, who would have thought that like indie rock would be the one to like embrace like experimentalism? <laughs> you, you know what it's like? Yeah. I, I yeah, think yeah. that's such a funny uh, juxtaposition, but it works so well. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, man, I have a lot to say about that topic in, yeah, in particular. Yeah. So first off, um, just in terms of location, so you know, you're talking about Eau Claire. I'm from outside of Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. That's where I grew up, and that's the scene, you know, that that I, I grew up sure. in. Sure. And um, you know, I was always grateful in in Milwaukee. The nice thing about it is, you know, it's it's a city, but but it's, it's big enough that you can make a difference artistically mm-hmm. in whatever that means to different artists. Sure. But it's, it's also a, a, a nice size that you can experiment and, uh, you know, you can, you can fail and that's sure. just fine. And I really appreciate that about, about the scene. And honestly, I think that has helped cultivate, uh, this style that I think you're referring to. And I don't know what it is, man. Sometimes I say it's, the, the glacial landforms and just driving back and forth through them just, I don't know, it shapes the mindset or I mean, something. Truly, but, yeah. But yeah. there is something about that. Yeah, it's, and it's very, like, indicative um, of that. Like, I hear, um, um, was it, S. Carey's album, Ranging Light. Yeah. And, like, there's so many, like, tracks on that, and I hear it, and I'm like, this is, this is like the Eau Claire Valley in yeah. a weird, in a weird way. Like, yeah. I just, it, I'm just, like, brought there, like, yeah. instantly. And, like, it's it's yeah there, there is an ethos or an aesthetic that like just um is um captured um and, through, through sonically and on, on that album in particular he does a beautiful job there's like some sound design there's that one track where he's like walking through the snow or you feel like the footprint snow thing mm-hmm. but it sounds like a very wisconsin snow yeah you yeah, know yeah. and i hate to <laughs> i'm sure it, Anyone listening would be like, well, walking on snow sounds like walking on snow. But and obviously I have a bias, but yeah, I think there is something about that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Absolutely. But, but it's also interesting within that, that scene, and I'm thinking of uh, you know Chris Porterfield, who was at mm. this show, mm-hmm. and his band Field Report. Because of course it's you know now it's it's Chris and then Barry who mm-hmm. we met at, mm-hmm. at the show yeah uh, and then Devin Drobka on drums okay who's really m- more in in Jazzland but also a fantastic free improviser mm-hmm. as a side note about twenty years ago he was my high school uh, jazz camp counselor oh too. funny <laughs> yeah and he was the one who introduced me I th- but I think uh, to Coltrane and John Zorn mm-hmm. I had found mm-hmm. like Ned Rothenberg before that okay. uh, and Anthony Braxton and sure. he was the one so anyway funny connections yeah, with that. Yeah, yeah. but then there's another guy this Tom Winchek who runs in the same circles as, as Sean as Justin sure and you know the interesting thing about his music he does a lot of synth stuff uh-huh. um, and you'll know his music from some of these synth like interludes that show up on, on these albums okay. I mean that's really that if I'm not mistaken, that's that's him. Okay, cool. And he's so in the world of yeah, experimental music, contemporary music, minimalism, mm-hmm. and in a lot of ways, I mean, I don't know. Someone should write a paper or something, or you know, do an interview with him and just try to figure out what, how much that influence of him yeah. rippled throughout the scene yeah. in Wisconsin. I I think that I mean a large part of it. Um, well, so you have that, right? You have, yeah. the, you have those people. Um, but at the same time, there's this like um, really prevalent free jazz scene in Minneapolis. Yep. Which I, people who don't know, they're, they're always kind of like, wait, what? I'm like, yeah, yeah no, like this, that's like the happening thing there. Oh, it's like, yeah. like free improvised um, jazz. So like, and then you get characters or individuals from that scene to, that are also collaborating in that. So it's, it's really kind of like this, I mean, you can call it a melting pot, but I, I think you have people of like mindsets who happen to just kind of, there's like three Venn diagrams going on yeah. here. And they just like, it's, it's always, it's always about serendipity. Right. And like people meeting at the right place at the right time and being like, let's make this a thing. Yeah. That's my take on it without knowing these like individuals terribly intimately, but like, I mean, you're totally right. Yeah. And, and also coming up from, from the South, just thinking about Madison and Milwaukee, of course, you know, Roscoe Mitchell, uh, is to, was was in Madison for a long okay, time, sure. Um, and then, of course, the connections of you know the AACM and all of that that's happening mm-hmm. down here. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, Milwaukee isn't that far. Things mm-hmm. tend to, to trickle up upward, sure, you know. Sure. Uh, and you're totally right. Yeah, it's this melting pot. And and again, I think, like I was saying, these these scenes that are are big enough to make a difference artistically, but small enough that I think people will take more chances. Mm-hmm. So when you have those Venn diagram relationships, like you're talking about, yeah. I think it just leads to some really beautiful stuff. Right. And right. then there is this other, yeah, certain, I, like you, I struggle with the name for it. If it's like this post rock thing, this indie rock thing, mm-hmm. um, the, the hip terms that I see now are, are more of, um, like Doomer or something like that, where it's just like these guitar riffs with harmonics and usually some kind of complex meter or it at least sounds sure, that way. Sure. And yeah, I mean, so, so it, first off, I'm, I'm flattered that you hear that. Thanks for bringing all that up in, yeah, in my music, I, but that's, that's yeah. where I try to live.
you know, music is such an interesting temporal experience, right? Because you you experience it while you're playing it as a something that's temporal, but then you also have this idea of like the piece was this at X point, and then it could also change at this other point. Yeah. So you, you know, it, yeah, it spans like it's you know, that. yeah, you know, there's it's like totally that. Yeah. yeah, we grow within these things, and yeah, I, I mean, it's a beautiful thing. The funny thing, though, then thinking about. Um, rushing past Willow and this other album that I've been working on, Enter Branch, is that you know then then it's like well what is the recording and and I mm-hmm. I feel like so often, especially with this like you know these byproducts of like a classical music mentality, it's like no the recording is supposed to be the most perfect whatever right, right. and it's like well but if we're can, and we always grow right right, right? so that's where I kind of you know rub against that mm-hmm. that idea because. And so in, instead of thinking like, no, the recording is on a pedestal and all that, I, mm-hmm. I look, try to think of it more as a snapshot. And, and I don't know if you know, I do, I do quite a bit of photography yeah. and other video yeah. things. And I, I try to, I just think a multidisciplinary approach is valuable in so many ways. But in, in terms of a recording, it's like, no, this is a snapshot of what's happening mm-hmm. at that time. Yeah. And then it's a question of like, you know, as an artist, like when is that snapshot ready? And also kind of checking yourself and, uh, you know, asking is, is, you know, the recording is the piece, is it as true as it can be? And I know that's a really vague notion, but I think it is something we feel with a piece. It's uh, your, and you can, you know, throw your head against a wall over and over again, trying to get something perfect. Yeah, but it's not about being perfect. It's about, like you said, is this right? right. Is this what I want it to be? And it's it's so. I think it's a really easy thing to get caught up on, where you're just like, well, you you want it to last forever, but the the second um, you're able to just be like, this is indicative of what my you know what it is right now, mm-hmm. and then you you know, then you can kind of move past it. Yeah. Then, but then again, like that's, isn't that the beauty of live performance? It is. Right. Because you, you have this like archival, you know, this thing that represents a, um, an idea of what it is, you know, at the time, but then you take that same thing, perform it slightly different or, yeah, you know, yeah, exactly. Well, and, and this also goes back to what you were saying with the different saxophonists you were, you, you were mentioning. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and for me, the, the list, Especially early on, I was happy to find, like I mentioned, Ned Rothenberg, Anthony Braxton, mm-hmm. Peter Brodsman, Matt Gustafson, these people who use this idiomatic language of saxophone, you know, mm-hmm. meaning like the overtones, the, the things that aren't unique to music, but there are unique aspects to how the saxophone, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, embodies these sounds. Mm-hmm. And this is why I'm so fascinated with using them in, in my pieces, because you can you know, really try to force yourself to control these things, especially multiphonics mm-hmm. and all of that. And it can be a very tense thing. But um, so Evan Parker talks about the, the horn as a, like a biofeedback machine. Okay. And, yeah. and that really uh, hits the spot with me. It really resonates because then it's like, how is this thing an extension of, you an extension of, of breath an extension of right. you know whatever this audio uh vision right doesn't make sense audio vision but you know no, what i mean yeah. this thing that that you're envisioning mm-hmm. um and 
there's a, a little bit of an element of chaos in it, right? Totally. In some ways, you're along for the ride, uh, but in some ways too, it's it's part of you, and so that that's why you know this this tradition in saxophone sound. Yeah. That probably, I mean, it really does even go back further than those folks, but right. um, but that's why I think it's such an uh, interesting, you know, almost lineage. To, to investigate. I was going to say, so is, would you say that was like a kind of a breakthrough maybe in like your, your, your playing experience when you, you were maybe first working with these things and you realize like I, you can't control every aspect of it and you kind of like lean into... And allowing. Yeah. yeah allowing. Yeah. That it really was an important thing because, you know, I was interested in those sounds. I, I was fortunate to have a, a library close by that was stocked with those albums. Oh, wow. <laughs> which, I mean, really is like looking back, you take it for granted mm-hmm. when you're a kid, but I, I was happy for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was also, uh, I, I, unfortunately, I think many of the locations have closed now, but the exclusive company, they had a couple mm-hmm. locations around uh, Wisconsin and they had a huge selection of jazz. They even had oh. like a big free jazz section, oh, awesome. which, you know, could compared to Barnes and Noble and things like that. I wouldn't have had that. Right. Right. Um, so anyway, yeah. yeah, finding those things was really uh, important. So then, you know, I was, I would try to transcribe those things and some had success. Ned Rothenberg's were the first where I felt like I figured out his language. Cool. Of course, then like Evan Parker, there was no way. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially mm-hmm. throughout undergrad, it was just like, what? What's going what on? What is happening? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I loved it, but yeah, it's a different thing. Yeah. But then anyway, it was when, um, so I'm, I, I'm really grateful for this. I, I was able to study in France for two years mm-hmm. and, and that was with this, the saxophonist Jean-Michel Goury, who's really, you know, I mean, contemporary saxophonist, mm-hmm. his thing. But at the same time, I was able to do some some improv studies with Joël Leandre, who's a, a bassist okay. and really interesting, uh, you know, history. She went to, um, you know, the Paris Conservatory, mm-hmm. CNSM, and, and did those studies and excelled in all of this and spent this time in these, you know, scores that, I mean, you know, you see these, Barrio stuff, the Stockhausen mm-hmm. stuff, and it's mm-hmm. you have to live in those scores. Mm-hmm. But then, and then she had a, a really fruitful collaborative relationship with Giacinto Chelsea. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm not mistaken, later came to the U.S. and you know was in the free jazz circuit okay. while also being in contemporary music. But anyway, mm-hmm. so her her thing it really became, or her voice, I should say, really was in improvisation. Yeah, and after or along with, I'm not sure how, how she'd say it, but with, with these complex studies. Yeah. So anyway, while I was in France, uh, I, I had a chance to work with her, okay. which was really uh, important and meaningful. And I, I remember improvising. There was one in particular where I, I went for what now is you know a vocabulary that I use quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And she was the one who... You know, after this one, whatever, four-minute improvised piece, she, was, she just said, you know, that. That is what you need to be doing. Thank you. 
Enter Branch. Uh, it, it was funded by a Kickstarter campaign, mm-hmm. which I'm grateful for mm-hmm. all the time, just the, the support that came with that. But it's funny, when you're putting together a Kickstarter, there's a section where it asks you, like, what challenges do you anticipate with this campaign? <laughs> and I remember looking at that and thinking, like, well, some things might come up, but I don't know, recording and schedules. Yeah, that's probably it. I'm thinking of that. I never would have thought oh, there might be a global pandemic that <laughs> delays things, you know? And of course, I'm not alone on this. A lot of people of course. have this. But, yeah, um, you can't really foresee that. <laughs> <laughs> but it has been such a, a strange experience with, with many ups and downs. Yeah. Having this album that had, you know, a trajectory and then having this thing that totally messed up the trajectory. Totally. And then going through, like, different stages of, of like grieving that, <laughs> but then also finding creativity and, you know, some different collaborations came up, uh, along, mm-hmm. along with that. Time. Yeah. But, uh, so I was actually going to ask like the, a lot of the collaborators on here, I mean, just have such a wide range of individuals. That's how did, um, are they all colleagues of yours or, um, did they some kind of come up just, you know, person of a person? Yeah. I mean, uh, in a lot of ways it's that, but I think the overarching uh, quality of everyone who's on the album mm-hmm. is they're, they're people who I'm deeply inspired by, mm-hmm. both artistically and for their involvement in, in the community, mm-hmm. in their respective communities. And I think community involvement is one of the most critical aspects of artistry that is really hard to um, you know, quantify and qualify. Mm-hmm. But... Yeah, when you see it, it just, it's, it's so impactful. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so before we were talking about about Sean, mm-hmm. um, and of course he has the S. Carey stuff, he has the Bone Bear stuff, all of that. 
Um, but like we were talking about too, you know, we were talking about the Oxbow, the Lakely, and all of that yeah, stuff. Yeah. Um, and and I mean, he sits in on those jazz sessions. Yes, and stuff. I have played with him before. Yeah. which is kind of what's crazy to think about. It is, yeah, yeah. and that is one of the most beautiful things I think about about Eau Claire. Yeah, is that you you have that. It's so I, I think elsewhere, you know, an artist, especially of his caliber and, and all of that, could seem really unreachable unreachable mm-hmm. but um there's something really tactile about about that sure. experience you know and you get an amount of vulnerability from individuals like yeah. that that you don't get and sincerity but like yeah. you, you you wouldn't get that from you know a a, a session musician or like a, any big studio you know kind yeah. of musician you get you get a you get a person who's willing to walk with you on you know yep. and stuff and and that that same tactile f- feeling, along with just you know immense uh, you know ripples throughout the community, goes really it, it does go mm-hmm. for everyone on, on the album. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, Natalie Joachim, uh, she's an activist in her own right. Her mm-hmm. music is is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, Jay Ivy, you know, spoken word artist, highly active. Not just in Chicago, but I mean, let's just be honest, around the U.S., around the world. Sure, sure. Um, yeah. And, and and then, of course, we've talked about, about Field Report, about, um, you know, Chris and mm-hmm. uh, just their involvement in the community. And and keep in mind, like, being involved in a community and, and trying to help inspire change, it's not always, you know, big campaigns. It's not always, I don't know. It's not always this big thing. Right. Sometimes it's person-to-person right. interactions and trying to foster that growth. Yeah. Um, but I think across the board on, on the album, I think everyone uh, embodies that, and I'm inspired by that. So that yeah. that was the driving force in trying to bring that's, this. Together. That's really, I mean, that's great that you have a you know a through line like that, but um, that you can get that many individuals that have a similar you know ethos and aesthetic that just want to. Um, really create something that's good and special.
does sound interact with visuals and maybe vice versa for you? It's interesting. So, you know, when I was looking towards pursuing the DMA and when I started it, um, you do this thing, it's called the Cognate. It's like a minor, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And um, I had the chance to do, you know, it was either going to be like a culture minor, a cognition minor, or a uh, digital media ones so mm. then cognition is what i was really interested in mm. especially topics like synesthesia and mm. all of that so i started diving into that resource now or uh, into that kind of research now eventually i did switch into digital medium because of my i mean i already had a background in recording and video mm. and all of that but that synesthetic experience of music um is a driving factor for me. And of course, synesthesia manifests in, in different ways. Yeah, yeah. There are some people where it's very clearly, you know, hearing, uh, hearing colors for lack of a better word, or this kind of exchange. Sure. Um, yeah. But I think there are different levels to it as well. And I think the most common one is, you know, we get the shivers or the tingles when we like, you know, hear something and, and yeah. you hear it down or you feel it down the spine when you hear that. And, you know, technically that's a, a synesthetic experience. You're having a physical reaction okay. to a musical experience. Yes. Yeah. So for me with video, it was, uh, you know, the, the, the impetus for, for pursuing that was following that kind of feeling. When okay. I have that from a visual thing and a musical thing and trying to continue to, to inspire that or just lean on that kind of experience. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's... So that's, I mean, that's a very direct connection then to the, the visual and the sound. Um, yeah. And um, I just, um, it, it kind of, um, you talked about working with dancers earlier, you know, that that's, um, you're, you're in, in a way then you're, um, you know, dance is uh, more voluntary, I guess, like a uh, synesthetic experience is involuntary, right? Like, yeah. we, you know, we, where dance is something that you are um, more or less conveying or, you know, working with. So is that um, like a boundary or like a, um, uh, I guess, a juxtaposition you, you work with? Because I, I know you work with dancers too. Yeah. Yeah. So what, um, when you're, when you're working with them, are they, are they doing more or less an improvised thing or are you kind of like talking about how you're seeing or like visualizing music? Yeah, I think, well, um, so some of my most valuable dance experiences have come in collaboration with this wild space dance company based mm-hmm. out of Milwaukee, mm-hmm. long standing uh, improvisatory and site specific dance company. So what I mean by that is they'll go to, you know, for example, different historical locations in Milwaukee mm. uh, and perform with that. So like, you know, there, for example, they had these big like smokestacks that were like torn down in Milwaukee. I mm-hmm. mean, gigantic. Yeah. yeah. And uh, they had what before they were torn down, they had, you know, dancers like repelling down this thing oh, and like wow. improvising. <laughs> like it's, it's yeah. spectacular what they do, but this is all um, from uh, Deb Lowen, who's the, executive director, artistic director, all of that. It's, sure. it's her vision. And the way that she brings together sound, location, and, and improvised movement, mm-hmm. or just improvised experience, I mean, it's really, yeah, it's, it's a special thing. Sure. So she, honestly, I, I credit her a lot. <laughs> yeah. She was the one who set up these experiences. Mm-hmm. And it was never so direct as like, 
oh, now you're responding to this. Now you're responding to this. Yeah. That, that's not how she guides yeah, yeah. But she does, it's like setting up the dominoes or something and letting them fall okay. however they're going to. Yeah. And then it creates, I don't know. It was a special thing. And that was, yeah, that, that was an important thing in terms of dance and realizing, yeah. seeing, feeling, being part of mm-hmm. how, how, music can manifest in a synesthetic way. I always say like um, the a general audience um, really enjoys vocalists and they really enjoy dancers because yeah. I yeah. think that a, like it doesn't matter what your background is as a human you see a part of yourself yeah. in like, what they are doing like they're both very human experiences yeah. and I <laughs> um, the the few times I've I've written vocal music but the few times I've, I've worked with dancers it's always been I wouldn't say a struggle but it's like I have to I have to really like check myself out and like put myself in a different space to like yeah kind of like to not overthink it so yep. I'm like I'm like how is this like you know um like if I'm working on music or whatever for the dance I'm like how is this going to be danceable and it's like well it's it's not it's more like how it's like what is the physicality of this you know like, yeah. don't think about it so directly as dance more like what is the energy what's the physicality of like yep. you know that, that experience it's totally that and and the same goes for the uh, uh, approach to improvisation through dance <laughs> heard the title track of the album rushing past willow and actually i split this song in two parts in this episode because this is a piece that nick used to collaborate with those dancers that he mentioned earlier so if you're curious to see that collaboration be sure to check it out on his website nickzulik.com 
on there, he has samples of what he was doing with these dancers. And it's honestly some very special and unique stuff. If you enjoy Nick's music in general, be sure to watch out for his new album coming out this spring called Enter Branch. He mentioned the number of collaborators that are on that album, and I can't imagine it's going to be anything short of magnificent. I'm your host, Austin Williams. This episode has been a real treat as I'm a large fan of Nick's music. Thank you for listening to Relevant Tones. Relevant Tones is a production of Access Contemporary Music, a nonprofit organization with the mission of bringing musical creativity to life every day. Find out more at acmusic.org.